this week on episode 39 of Diary of a Senior Geek. If you're young and concerned about economic fairness, social justice, and the current unholy worship of the almighty dollar above all else, I salute you. Go get them. I'm right there with you. Hi there. Gary, back with episode 39 of Diary of a Senior Geek, recorded on February 25th, 2020. Jeez. Dev and Amanda are watching the Democratic debate downstairs, and while I was headed upstairs to record this, I heard Elizabeth Warren accusing Mike Bloomberg of telling a pregnant employee to, quote, kill the fetus she was carrying. The gloves are off, folks. Why am I not watching? In my opinion, there are better things to do. These, quote, debates are just infotainment. I don't see that they add any value, so I avoid them. On that note, I have a kind of a long episode this week. I'll be talking a little bit about the, quote, good for me book I've been reading. It's called Asymmetric Politics, Ideological Republicans and Group Interest Democrats. It's by Matt Grossman and David A. Hopkins. I'll tell one of my favorite data me stories, and I get all riled up about the state of the world today in the quote of the week segment. Strap in. My impression of the asymmetric politics book is that it's a, quote, popularization, unquote, of one or more peer-reviewed papers written by two authors who only ever write peer-reviewed papers. They'll make a point in the first two pages of a chapter, then proceed with, oh, so many charts, statistics, and real-world examples for the next 40 or 50 pages. As I've mentioned before, Grossman's and Hopkins' thesis is that, in general, Conservatives are mostly interested in ideological purity when evaluating candidates and legislation, while liberals tend to be a relatively loose coalition looking for resolutions to various group issues without worrying too much if a working solution closely holds to some kind of liberal ideology. My somewhat cynical take on this is that conservatives want to stick to conservative ideology no matter the cost to the nation, while liberals are actually looking for problems to solve and solutions to those problems. Maybe that's just me. There's also a certain attitude of don't let the libs win even when we agree with them. My example is the Affordable Care Act, nicknamed Obamacare. I was very disappointed in the ADA because it was a conservative-slash-Republican health care plan introduced by a moderate Democrat, President Obama. It was market-based, a major gift to U.S. health care companies. But I thought it was a good start and could hopefully lead to what I really want, which is European-style, single-payer, government-run health care. And I figured it'd sail through Congress because, one, there was a Democratic majority in both houses at the time, and two, the GOP could not possibly object to a plan that was basically the same plan they had proposed in the past and almost identical to the health care plan Mitt Romney helped enact in Massachusetts when he was governor. Instead, the GOP attacked it at all levels and very nearly kept it from passing, largely because, in my interpretation, they didn't want President Obama to get anything worthwhile done while he was in office, i.e. never let the other side win. Thanks, Newt. Actually, it occurs to me that's not my interpretation. Mitch McConnell came right out and said it, if I remember correctly. So much for the ad-lib right there. I dearly hope that someday... When the tables are reversed and a moderate Republican president presents a good enough plan to, say, reverse global warming to a Democratic Congress, that the Dems are not tempted to shoot it down just because it was introduced by a Republican. Yeah, yeah, dream on, Fisher. 
In any case, after reaching the end of chapter 3, a little more than a quarter of the way into the book, I'm taking a break for now. I promise I'll go back and finish it at some point, but for now I need to take a break. Moving on, this week, instead of another handyman tale, I'm telling one of my favorite stories about Dad and me. In the early 70s, when I was in my early 20s, I went on a water skiing vacation to Lake Havasu with the family. We stayed at a water access only campground on a tiny island near the Arizona shore of Lake Havasu. There were two campgrounds on the island separated by a hill with an outhouse on top for use by both campgrounds. As I recall, we never saw the group on the other side of the island, and we were there for a week. Our group was, as I recall, Mom and Dad, plus their Swiss exchange student, Ruth, and me. As I remember, Ruth was at the end of her visit and would fly home shortly after we finished the vacation. I honestly don't remember if my brother or either of my two sisters were along. Sorry, Kip, Karen, and Dana. Dana might have been there. I th believe she and Ruth were the same age. It was late June or July and extremely hot. During the day, it would get up to 125 degrees Fahrenheit. It never got below 95F, even in the middle of the night. I remember Ruth writing a letter to her mother, and after converting to Celsius, yelling something along the lines of, 50 degrees? I knew it was hot, but this is ridiculous. So we ran around wearing swimsuits and t-shirts and not a whole lot else. Whenever we felt too hot, we'd dive into the water and let ourselves air dry to cool off. We were well equipped. We had Dad's 16 and a half foot ski boat, powered by a 75 horsepower Johnson outboard engine. This isn't a whole lot of power, but it was enough to pull two skiers out of the water if they were patient and experienced enough. Everybody in our family who water skied was patient and experienced enough, so that worked out well. By this time, I had my own custom-built ski, but I was never a gifted water skier. To really shred, you must have a lot of upper body and leg strength. My legs were okay, but I lacked the upper body strength. So I'd just get up, cut over the wake to my left, because that was my strong side, make a couple of cuts back and forth through the wake, then just hang on and enjoy the ride until I got too hot. Then I'd throw the rope, go into the water, and maybe just get back up again. But that's not what I wanted to tell you about. Along with the ski boat, we had Mom's little sailboat and Dad's Grumman aluminum canoe. The canoe had closed-cell foam in the bow and stern so that it wouldn't sink even if it was full of water. It turns out this was a very good thing on this trip. Dad had bought a sailing conversion kit for the canoe. It had a pair of sideboards, an aluminum mast, and a sail and a tiller. One afternoon, the sun was blazing down and we could see clouds coming from the west. Dad looked at me and said, do you think we can sail out for 20 minutes, turn around and beat the storm back? Sure, I said. I seemed to recall Mom objecting, but we boarded the canoe, raised sail, and headed west. About halfway across the lake, Dad said, Wow, that storm's moving faster than I thought. We should turn around and head back to camp. So we came about and did just that. About 10 minutes later, the wind shifted 180 degrees and picked up speed. Dad was trying to adjust with the tiller while I dived for the halyard to drop the sail. No joy, over we went, with the canoe sideways in the water. Dad wanted to right the canoe right away, but I saw lightning on the horizon and thought that having an 8-foot aluminum mast sticking out of the water probably wasn't the best idea. So we stowed the sail, unshipped the mast, and lashed it to a couple of thwarts. Without the weight of the mast, the canoe righted itself. When we left shore, we had a big sponge and an old bleach bottle with part of the top cut out to use for bailing. 
Both were tied to thwarts with short lengths of nylon rope so they wouldn't get lost. But somehow the bleach bottle bailing bucket had come loose. However, I still had the sponge, so sitting in the bow, I gamely started to try and bail out the canoe. Dad started laughing uproariously and told me to look behind me. The gunnels were at least three inches underwater in the middle of the canoe. I'd basically been trying to bail the whole lake. We were in no danger of sinking, and Dad and I were both wearing ski vests as life jackets, so our plan was to allow the wind to blow us to the California shore, dump the water from the canoe, then either sail or paddle home. What? You think we'd leave shore without paddles? We may have been crazy, but we weren't stupid. By this time it was raining buckets, and visibility was only a couple of hundred feet. Even so, a passing ski boat spotted us and pulled up to see if they could help. They tossed us a ski rope, and I tied that off at the front of the canoe, and they slowly started towing us towards our camp. However, even at their slowest speed, I had water surging over the front of our still-underwater canoe and into my face. I thought I was going to drown. I signaled for them to stop and asked if I could board their boat. They agreed, so I went hand over hand along the rope and got on board. They all looked at me as if they weren't sure to take us home or to the nearest mental hospital. They towed the canoe back to our camp. While they were towing us, I could hear Dad singing, Sailing, sailing, under the bounding main, at the top of his lungs. This did nothing to reassure our rescuers about our sanity. We got back to camp, thanked our rescuers, and offered to pay for some of their gas, and they politely refused. By this time, the storm was starting to abate, the sun was coming out, and it was starting to heat up again. It took us all afternoon and a couple of wine coolers to get Mom calmed down, but eventually peace was restored. This is one of my all-time favorite Dad and Me stories. I was reminded of it the other day at work. As I remember others, I'll pass them along. Dad's Journal This week's prompt is, I admired this friend because of the following talents. If you recall, he was talking about his friend Bill last week. So Dad said, he was just my friend. He was more athletic than I, and I think I experienced a lot less bullying because of his friendship. That's what Dad had to say. Until I read this, and when I spent a lot of time with him while he was in hospice the last few weeks of his life, I hadn't known that Dad had been bullied. I had a parallel experience. I was bullied quite a bit from the seventh grade through my junior year in high school, but in my senior year, I lucked into being one of the equipment managers for the varsity basketball team. Almost all of the athletes at Rancho Alamitos High School played multiple sports, and they kind of adopted me as a mascot. They could give me a hard time, not too hard, but no one else could. I recall one time a couple of bullies had me backed up against some lockers when I heard a voice say, Is there a problem here, Fisher? I looked up to see most of the varsity football defensive line standing behind the bullies, rubbing their fists. I think the word went around the bully circuit that it wasn't a good idea to mess with me. I was extremely grateful for that. In earlier weeks, I've mentioned my friend Bill Stevens, so I'll do a compare and contrast here. I admired the fact that Bill could actually grow muscles, but what I admired most about him was that he seemed to be a lot more talented than I when it came to electronics, physics, chemistry, math, etc. Also, he could wipe me all over a chessboard. So could my brother. So when Bill and his brother Gary, yeah, and Kip and I would spend an afternoon together. Bill and Kip would play chess, and Gary and I would play Stratego, which for some reason I seemed to have a talent for. I just couldn't get the hang of chess. Too many options. 
Bill went off to college at UCI and I believe prospered there. In the meantime, I was not ready for higher education and I did very poorly at San Diego State, then Long Beach State. Bill and I lost touch with each other about this time and I've never seen him since. Quote of the week. I'm going to give Yoda a break this week. Today's quote is from John Lennon. If someone thinks that peace and love are just a cliche that must have been left behind in the 60s, that's a problem. Peace and love are eternal. As I think I've mentioned, in the late 60s through most of the 70s, I was a war-protesting, anti-authoritarian, peace-and-love-spouting, long-haired hippie weirdo. I still am one, just with shorter and grayer hair. I understand the current okay boomer attitude of today's young people and I'm actually glad to see it. I was afraid the kind of enthusiasm for social justice I participated in 50 years ago was extinct. The right is trying to make the term social justice warrior a denigration. It should be a term of honor. If you're young and concerned about economic fairness, social justice, and the current unholy worship of the almighty dollar above all else, I salute you. Go get them! I'm right there with you. On that note, that's it for this week. See you next Tuesday, or maybe Wednesday. I'd like to ask a little favor. If you like this podcast, please give it a five-star rating on whatever app or site you use to listen to it. This will help get it out there to more people. Also, if you like it, please tell your friends and family about it. As always, you can find me on Instagram, Twitter, and or Facebook. Just search for SeniorGeek49. Gary, back with an episode. Try that again. If these debates... If these debates... Oh, okay, I see. My impression... Conservatives want to stick to conservative ideology... Conservatives want to stick to conservative... Oh, man. Conservatives want to stick to conservative... Good Lord, Fisher. Take 4,723... It's a popularization of one of the more, <clears throat> it's a, quote, popularization, uh, unquote, <sighs> it's a popularization of one of the more, of one of the more, no, one or more. I've got through this before. Oh, how many times have I tried to say this? My somewhat cynical, oi, Romney helped enact in Massachusetts when he was gov governor there. <clears throat> Try that again. So we ran around wearing swimsuits and t-shirts and not a swim shirts? The canoe, the canoe, with short lengths of nylon ropes so that we would, the, however, even to the, oh man, let's try that again. Dad said, friendship, one more time. But what I most admired, yeah, a lot more talented than I, to be a lot more talented than Talented than I. Talented than I. Man, I keep writing tongue twisters. But why? Bill and I lost touch with you. With ugh. Bill and I lost touch with anti-authoritarian. Talk about writing yourself tongue twisters. I was a war. Pro I was afraid. Oh.
and I need to turn off the fan and start this again. Son of a bitch.